Welcome to the Pre-Health Pod. My name is Lexi. And I'm Sarah, and we are here to answer all of your pre-health student questions. Wherever you are on your journey to medical school or PA school or any other health-related field, really, we hope to be able to meet you at where you are and be able to answer your questions and give you guidance. And we actually have a question that we got from this past week that we wanted to address here on the pod just to start off. Lexi, if you want to read that off, that would be awesome. Yeah. This person asked, how many shadowing hours are typically expected for a competitive applicant to medical school? And we'll branch out instead of medical school and say also like PA school because Sarah here is pre-PA. Yeah. But to get started, I'll answer like the medical school side of things. I don't believe based on what I've read on like medical school prep companies, there is a set number of hours that medical schools require for shadowing hours. I just applied to medical school last week and I was looking through the medical school requirements and, you know, it's very much a breath of have a general understanding of why you want to go into medical school and commit your life to becoming a physician. And having those certain experiences in shadowing and clinical experiences, which are very important, can help make your application competitive in that way. However, I have heard that there is a range of hours that you can have. I think it's about 40 to 100 hours is what I've seen just, you know, from the med school prep companies I've looked up. And I personally had about 90 hours and I shadowed around seven specialties I shadowed orthopedic surgery, vascular surgery, cardiothoracic surgery, a lot of surgical specialties, as well as internal medicine. I also shadowed anesthesiology, transplant surgery, and I also had a very unique shadowing experience with a physician at the Arizona House of Representatives. So those are some of my experiences. And I think personally, they helped me really realized medicine was my true purpose in life. I got to see all kinds of different lifestyles and work-life balances. I also was a medical school, medical scribe at an ER for a very long time. So that is an additional specialty that I saw that helped me realize that I really did love medicine and I really love what they do. And I could see myself having that career for a long time in my life. That's awesome. I mean, I have a completely different perspective for shadowing hours because PA school is just so different from what they want from you. You'll notice when you're applying to PA school, some of the programs you apply to will ask for a very specific number of shadowing hours or even like a specific number of different fields you did shadowing hours in. And then some of them won't ask for them at all. So they make it a little tricky for you. You don't really know exactly what you need to be doing in undergrad how I approached it is I just tried to make time for shadowing when I could. I only shadowed in emergency settings because that was where I knew people who would let me come shadow them. That was just the connections that I had. And honestly, it worked best with my schedule because it was a 24-7 operation. I could make time for it whenever throughout the day. And I had over a hundred shadowing hours. I can't remember the specific number off the top of my head, but I know I was a bit over a hundred and that was at a couple different ERs with a couple different providers. 
And it was great. I loved shadowing. I really did. I would recommend it to anyone, even if you're not sure where you will be applying or when you will be applying. I think shadowing is really important. Kind of reiterating what Lexi said, though, like it really helps you know that this is your thing, that you really can be in medicine and that you want to be and it brings you joy. But yeah, so that's our answer to shadowing hours. I hope it helps, guys. But before we jump into this episode that we did with Jonathan, who is great, by the way, you guys will love him. This episode was all about motivation and just how he stayed motivated, how we stayed motivated, how to avoid burnout, but really just like getting through undergrad happy and not (laughs) dead inside. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was a good episode. But Lexi, I want to talk to you first. I want to know what you've been up to. I haven't talked to you in so long. I know you were like applying to medical school. I know you have a new job, but I don't have any of the details. So share your life away. <laughs> I know we're trying to like not talk to each other in between podcast episodes. So we can yeah. just catch up on the pod. Oh my gosh. So I just applied to medical school at the time of this recording literally a week ago. And I am just amazed that that's kind of it. I don't really have anything else right now. I don't have any upcoming standardized tests. I'm just waiting for them for AMCAS to verify my application and to hopefully receive emails about secondary essays. And for some of you who are a little earlier on your pre-med path, applying to medical school is huge. And for me, I did four years of undergrad and then I did one gap year and I took my MCAT in my one gap year after senior year. I just took my MCAT this past spring and applied for medical school just now. And, and I'm so happy <laughs> that Yay, I finally hit that you. button. Yeah, yeah, it's over. You can't go oh my back gosh. and change things now. I know they won't let me. No, it's crazy. <laughs> Which is good. And also big piece of advice, someone, a medical student I know gave me this advice and I haven't done it is to not look at your application after you submit it. Don't read your personal statement. Don't read your activity sections because, you know, you might find grammar errors, which hopefully there shouldn't be any, but you know what happens? We're humans and unhealthy obsession might follow and it's unnecessary and there's nothing you can do. So don't look at your applications. And I haven't looked. so smart. You know, that's really funny because (laughs) I submitted my PA school applications last week and I was super frustrated that you can't go back and look. You can't go back and see what you wrote or what you said. And now I'm thinking maybe that's a good thing. No, that's a good thing. Caspa. Because, yeah, Yeah. I was like, oh, I wish I could go reread this or, oh, I wish I remembered what I said here. I can't. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. That's you know, crazy. I'd love to hear, I know you just submitted PA applications, right? Yes. Last week, it was hard. Uh, <laughs> it took a long time for me to actually feel confident in my work and my resume. I don't know. Now that it's done, I feel a little anxious, a little stressed. I'm really hopeful. I'm really, really hopeful that I'll get accepted somewhere and get to start this journey now. But I also have kind of accepted the fact that a lot of people don't get in their first round of applications and that's fine. Mm. Those people, I um, just got accepted 
to a new job. I'm going to be a medical assistant at an OBGYN clinic. And oh my God, excited. It's really cool. It's really neat. I get to like actually be in operating rooms and like be a part of the whole shebang. When I was a medical assistant in the past, it was very surface level, felt very clinical. And yeah, it feels like a lot more hands-on patient care. So I'm really excited to do that. That is really good. And that'll be awesome for your interviews. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. they'll be super impressed. <laughs> Won't be on what my application, you... but <laughs> yeah, I know I have experiences coming up that even though they're like feature experiences and they let you put feature experiences on AMCAS, my mentors were like, don't do that. Just talk about it in an update letter, your interviews, which I thought was interesting. When would you start PA school? So that's crazy to me because PA school is almost like it's a rolling application. Each program has a different start date. So the ones that I applied to, the soonest that I could start at this point is January 2024. And the latest that I could start is the fall, so August, September of 2024. So it's almost like I should get another gap year. Well, I guess it'll be my first gap year, but maybe not if I get into one of the January schools. So we'll see. Some of them start in the summer. Some of them start in February. It's kind of crazy and it's a little hard to keep track of, but that's kind of my time era is going to be January to like September. Bruh. If you applied out of state, how do you find housing in such a short period of time? Especially if like you have family who wants to buy a house in that area and not have to live in and not have to rent for four years. Yeah. I can't even imagine having like a family to go move to another state as quickly as it will end up being. Um, yeah. I know my good friend, Kaylin, who's in PA school right now, she moved from Arizona to North Carolina and she had two months notice. I will tell you that I've never seen her more stressed out in her entire life. Oh my gosh. But she did it and she loves it and she loves where she lives and everything worked out. So I think at the end of the day, you just fully commit. And it's another one of those sacrifices we make to end up in medicine and be able to practice someday. Yeah. Girl, I know people have gone to medical school like one week before they start. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) I'm like, well, those people, fortunately, like it's their state schools, so they could easily move, but holy cow. I don't think we'll see. I get acceptances a week before we start, but you know, anything can happen. And I know medical school applications are super competitive lately. And yeah. We'll see what happens. You guys get to listen to our anxiety and our pain as we wait. (laughs) Yeah. We don't want to sit here and complain though, but feel free to email us if you have any more questions, especially about even just talking about the anxieties you might be feeling about the application process. Sarah and I just went through the application processes for PA and MD slash, well, I only applied to MD schools, but I have friends who also know a lot about the DO school application process. And I know Texas also has its own application server, which is so very interesting. So if you want to be like a medical doctor, there are three application servers that you have to maneuver if you want to live in Texas and do DO programs. But yeah, email us at mphc at nationalprealthconf.org. And it should be in our bio as well on whatever you're listening to from us. Yeah. 
Any questions, comments, concerns? We got you. We'll address them all. (laughs) (laughs) Now we are going to transition to our episode on staying motivated with MBPhD student Jonathan Sussman. We're so excited to have him and we'll go ahead and transition to that. All right, everybody. Thank you so much, Jonathan Sussman, for joining us as our next guest speaker. Jonathan is a rising fourth-year MD-PhD student at the University of Pennsylvania Perelman School of Medicine, studying genomics and computational biology in the context of brain tumor biology. He previously studied biomedical engineering and music, both dual degrees, at the University of Southern California, and then spent a year conducting molecular biology research at the Scripps Institute. When he is not in the lab or playing the flute, he enjoys cycling and trying a bunch of restaurants, a plethora around Philadelphia. Thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm so glad you were able to join us and I can't wait to talk about this topic with you. We know that motivation is something that everyone on their pre-health journey struggles with. Definitely as a pre-PA student, the path is long, but for you pre-meds, it's even longer. And it's just crazy to me that you took it one step farther and even added that PhD to it. So I'm really excited to talk to you about all of that. But I want to start off like taking you back in time a little bit. And I'd love to know, what was your undergrad like for you? And when did you even choose or decide that you were going to do MD-PhD? This is a good question. Even though I'm not in the sense of non-traditional, I took one year off to do research after graduating. My path to medicine from a personal standpoint wasn't similar to a lot of people who knew they wanted to go into medicine from a very early age. In fact, I thought that I never wanted to go into medicine. You know, the idea of medical things and blood and stuff just as a very small child was just kind of weird to me. <laughs> and I got that in my head. And then going through high school and going through college, I thought I wanted to work with my hands, but in a way that's a little bit more mechanical, a little bit more artificial. And that's why I went to engineering. Also inspired by my dad, who's an aerospace engineer. I was a little bit more fascinated by chemicals and molecules and cells rather than airplanes. So I chose biomedical engineering with an emphasis in chemical engineering. And I also have uh, another degree in music. And that's something I've loved to do my whole life. But something I would do on the side. And and my main intention from a career standpoint was always something in science and engineering field. So I wanted to go into engineering industry in some capacity. And, you know, as I went through undergrad, I figured that I would get a PhD in something, probably either engineering or basic biology, and then go into industry where I could have more relevant research role in some company. So To that end, I started doing some research in undergrad and realized that when you're working on medical research, you know, anything that pertains to diseases or cells or tissues, cells don't just grow on a plate. They grow in the context of the whole body. They grow in the context of multiple different organ systems and all interact with each other. And in any disease, things that go wrong don't just affect one cell. Something can cause a disease that's propagated through a complex cellular and organ level process that affects the whole body. And just to study things in a lab and to look at cells and molecules and transcription factors, I realized I was missing a huge piece of what I was studying. By studying breast cancer cell lines, 
I had no idea about the cancer as a clinical entity. I had no idea about breast cancer or brain cancer, or any of the other cell lines. They were just words on the Petri dish. Oh, this is a yeah. brain cell line. This is a breast cancer cell line. And I also noticed in the, in the last couple of years of undergrad that most of the things that I was learning, all of the core knowledge that interested me the most was coming not from the engineering classes, which I liked a lot, but was coming from the basic science classes. The engineering classes were really an application of these concepts using math and physical principles in order to solve problems. And I like that in its own right. That's, I call that the engineering mindset. But the actual knowledge itself, it was actually building up my repertoire of terminology and my vocabulary it was all coming from basic sciences. So I then realized that medical school will provide that knowledge in a very structured and rigorous way. And medical school covers all the organ systems. You learn yeah. everything that you need to know in a very condensed way, but in a very coherent and unified way through medical school coursework. And still to this day, the most amount of learning that's ever occurred to me is in those first couple of years of medical school. And more than that, it teaches you how diseases manifest themselves in the real world. And when you're developing treatments, you need to understand what is something that you can actually develop and people can use. I always joke that, well, if the goal in the lab is to kill the cancer cells, lighting the plate of cells on fire also does the job, but that's not something that you can translate into a medical therapeutic. So I started looking more into MD-PhD as a way to supplement my interest in PhD. And then to do that, looked at it as a logistical task. Okay, now I'm going to do MD-PhD. I need to meet these other requirements. So I started actually doing the requirements, you know, volunteering and shadowing. You realize that, wait a second, the medical stuff is actually really cool and isn't just a foundation for doing research, but actually is something I really like in its own right. And I realized that I've kind of never really gave it an honest evaluation and what I thought about becoming a doctor when I was five or even maybe in middle school, versus actually being in the hospital and seeing things and participating hands-on totally shaped my understanding and expectations. So at that point, I was totally committed to the MD-PhD since I like the medicine primarily, but nonetheless, still have just the same interest in research. At this point, my goal is to go into clinical medicine mostly. My main interest is in neurosurgery, but will participate in research in a high-level capacity either academic research or through industry consulting in some way that allows me to contribute my both engineering background and also computational knowledge that I'm picking up now into something that can produce a more long-standing benefit. Wow. Holy cow, Jonathan. You sound like <laughs> someone who loves school. That is like the biggest right. takeaway I got from this. You sound like you love school. Are you one of those people that would just like go to school forever if they were getting paid for it? I am. I, like I knew it. I that knew awesome. it. That's awesome. <laughs> I am not one of those people. I like school. I enjoy learning, but I don't think you could pay me to go to school forever. But no, that's awesome. And it kind of is making me wonder, how did you juggle the double major in your undergrad. That's a big undertaking. They're completely different majors. There's no overlap between music and biomedical sciences. Did you ever just feel completely overwhelmed by that? No, in fact, quite the opposite. And it's true that there's no overlap between them. And that's exactly the point. Now people say, well, math and music have something in common. Well, maybe in some part of your brain, but in reality, no. 
the actual skills that you're learning in a conservatory level music school versus what you're learning in an engineering program have nothing in common and nothing to do with each other. The people that I interacted with in engineering labs and the people that I interacted with in music rehearsals were the most polar opposite people ever. And that's exactly the thing that made it exciting and interesting. Both of those things were kind of like a break from the other. Just to sit and stare at pages of math homework all day gets pretty boring pretty quick. And you need a break from that. And also playing music all day, to me at least, gets boring as well. There's only so long that I can be practicing music. So being able to go back and forth between the music, which is something that I love to do and would be doing anyway, but now I had the opportunity to play music in the context of some of the best people in the country, if not in the world, on my free time, and then go back to engineering and work on homework and everything, just like any other biomedical engineering student. That was actually one of the major factors that kept me motivated, given the theme of the podcast. I would rush to do my homework as fast as possible so that I can meet up and play music with my friends. That's awesome. I get where you're coming from. I had a French minor up until COVID. I ended up dropping the minor because when COVID happened, suddenly all of my French classes were not conversational at all. It was all yeah. very, very boring. And honestly, a lot of the professors just gave up and were speaking to us in English. So I gave up on that. But when I was doing my French minor, I loved getting to put down my OCHEM homework and switch to <laughs> French. It was like relaxing. It was so nice. I, I made so many friends with different people that had nothing to do with science. Those are some really great people. And I think it makes you more cultured too, having the double major because you're interacting with completely different types of people. Yeah. Right. I definitely second that <laughs> for sure. Um, in college, I feel like honestly, most of my friends were engineers or in education. And it was so great to now that I'm out of college and I still sometimes work in the clinical space after having maybe a long scribe shift to go out to a restaurant with my friends and just not talk about medicine was actually really awesome because a lot of my life surrounds pre-med and becoming a doctor and having the opportunity to like just talk about normal life things like getting an apartment or thinking of getting a dog and not always being like pre-med applications, letters of rec, all of that was just very healthy for me and allowed me to relax a little more and take a breather. Like, oh, these people actually have really cool lives. They have a nine to five. That's it. They don't have to go study. They just like go out to dinner and go on Must with their be lives. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like one of the first just times different. I hung out with you, Lexi, we talked about pre-med the entire time. And I walked away from that and I was like, we should probably not do that ever again. We should yeah. like, be normal people next time. I know. <laughs> we, we now have like, felt like that. <laughs> we do have this unsaid rule now that when we go out, we just strictly don't talk about the pre-health conference or pre-med. We just talk about anything else because so much of our life surrounds medicine, which is awesome, but also a lot to handle. Have you ever it's felt so that way, nice. Jonathan? Definitely. When I was in music, I wanted to be seen as just any of the other music people. That was what yeah. I wanted. I never talked about doing the double major since there's almost a stigma to it that in music, if you're doing engineering, that 
you're not really serious about playing music, you're maybe you're, you're not able to have a career in music, the engineering is kind of your backup thing, or that you're going to do engineering and you're just kind of doing this for fun and taking advantage of all of these resources that should go to people who want to have a career in music. I mean, that's how it's seen. So when I was in music, I wanted to be seen like a music person this is what I do. And I want to be treated like that. I didn't want to talk about the engineering. And then when I was in engineering as well, I also wanted to just talk about engineering. I mean, that's what I was there to do. And maybe I've talked about the music as you just kind of in the sense of everyone has some extracurricular interest. I always played it down since I wanted to engage in the engineering and wanted to really be seen as, you know, here I'm in this environment, in this milieu. This is the people I want to interact with and the things that I want to think about at the deepest level. I don't want that to be distracted by the idea that you're balancing other things either within your mind or how it's, you're perceived. You're like a double agent. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> that's awesome. I totally get where you're coming from. But I'm going to ask you another question. I'm going to change topics <laughs> a little bit. What do you think the biggest challenge you faced in undergrad was? If it's the MCAT, make something else. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but how did you overcome that biggest challenge? Well, my answer is a little stolen. And then I can't uh. now talk about just kind of balancing the different things. I've talked about, well, I guess I can. There's the positive aspects of balancing the different things. But at a certain extent, that did become logistically a challenge. Balancing the music and engineering is very positive from the standpoint of staying motivated and very positive from the standpoint of really having a positive and optimistic experience. But there was a lot that was challenging to that logistically, especially towards when it got to the point where I was trying to fill in those MD-PhD application requirements. There was a lot of MD-PhD application requirements that I didn't satisfy initially since I had decided to go into the MD-PhD around junior year. I don't think I mentioned that specifically. So I was trying to catch up on reviewing the topics for the MCAT for classes that I had not taken, like oh, psychology and sociology are not part of the standard engineering curriculum, doing volunteering and, and shadowing, and trying to fit in those more laborious requirements on top of all of these other things that I already had established that I was doing routinely was pretty yeah. challenging. And more so, doing a bunch of seemingly menial requirements, and many of which are, and trying to find something motivating about that. When I had this great thing that I liked, I would do my engineering stuff and go to the lab and then I would do my music. And now I had to fit in a bunch of menial volunteer tasks because as an undergrad, they're not letting you do a whole lot on top of all these routines that I already liked and trying to stay motivated with that and not see it as kind of disappointment. Here's something I like and now this, I don't want to see this as taking away from it and looking towards the future that I need to do these things uh, you know, just for this year, part of next year, and then I'll be on to the next stage. And both from a logistical and a intellectual point of view, that was probably the biggest challenge. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I get it. My <laughs> life revolved around my Google Calendar, I think all of college, because there was a point where, and this is sort of like led to burnout that I had to overcome was I was scribing 30 hours a week. I was taking 20 credits. I was studying for the MCAT. I was trying to finish my Spanish minor. I was doing my honors thesis. I was volunteering on the weekends. Oh, also those 30 hours of scribe shifts, half of them were night shifts. 
And a lot of my friends, it kind of became normalized for the my pre-med friends. It was like, oh, yeah, you have a night shift, you have an 8 a.m. class. Like that's just normal. You just go to class and then sleep sometime in between class. And I did that for like a few months, a few semesters ago. And I was like, I cannot do that again. <laughs> I pushed back my MCAT test date and sorted my priorities for my experiences and my activities. And I did well in my classes. I, those were number one for me, but I had to really figure out how to like schedule my time appropriately. Cause in my calendar, I didn't fit in the relaxation time. I just put in all of the things I was like, oh yeah, eight to 12 scribe. Okay. So 12 to four class and then study. What about sleep? <laughs> and you, got, you know, this hobbies. Is my favorite topic, Lexi, you probably <laughs> already know this. I think I've ranted to you about this, but I think all pre-health students are chronic overachievers. And I think that is our collective biggest flaw. When you're presented <laughs> with an opportunity, we all accept it, no matter what it is or when it is or how much time and energy it's going to take from us. We cannot pass up on an opportunity. And in the last year, yes. I have spent so much energy in passing up opportunities, like forcing myself to say no. And I think if anyone learns anything in their undergrad please learn this from me. And it's that it is better to do less things fully, giving it your 100% effort and all of your attention and time and commitment than it is to do something half-assed. Because they can yeah. tell. Everyone can tell when you're doing it halfway. And they get frustrated with you, whether it's advisors or colleagues. And someday when you're sitting in an interview, the person interviewing you will be able to tell you did it halfway. <laughs> it's yeah. so important. Commitment, exactly definitely. Right. I always thought about, you know, am I doing enough? Yeah. Because a lot of pre-health people always are doing more or make it look like they're doing more or on paper are doing more. Yeah. You know, these people with the resumes, very long, all of these activities all the time. But what I, I eventually realized luckily pretty quickly, is that just showing up to stuff and just being present isn't enough. That doesn't mean you're doing something. If you're the president of seven clubs because you show up to seven meetings every week has no actual meaning. And yeah. when you're writing your application, when you're doing your interviews, it's very obvious that those things meant nothing to you. You were simply showing up to stuff and were getting accomplishments nearly or simply by dint of spending time rather than by doing. Less meeting and more doing is what I try to live by. And more than that, it'll show in applications and interviews, but that's what leads to burnout in a lot of people. I, I consider myself to be pretty immune to burnout simply because everything that I do is doing. I try to avoid the just sitting and being present and don't really consider that to be productive activities. If a volunteer activity ends up being just showing up to something, I will stop doing that because that's no longer something that benefits anyone. It doesn't benefit me. It doesn't benefit the group or whoever you're claiming to be helping. It simply increases your hours for that activity, 
which is completely meaningless compared to what you're actually accomplishing and what you're getting out of it. Yeah. Impact is so important. And that phase of my life where I was doing a million things, I had to set aside a moment. What do I care about tremendously? And what are some things that I do care about, but I, I'm not making as much impact as I can because I you know, have lack of sleep or I'm potentially burnout. And so that was something like delaying the MCAT for a few months or maybe volunteering instead of every weekend, only once a month. Because I still care about those things, but where am I making the most impact? So setting more hours away, but like in a better way to the things I love, like the National Pre-Health Conference, inscribing, which was like one of my favorite jobs I did ever in college. PSA, if you become a scribe, that's like the best clinical experience you can get hands down. You're like working with doctors side by side. It's fantastic. It really Um, is. So priority is important. Hitting people in a tangible way. You're not just showing up and being present like this podcast. You're actually putting something together that helps people, that actually is a product. Yeah. My heart. That was such a (laughs) kind thing to say. No, I think NPHC is a great example of that for you, Lexi. And I guess for me too, because we have a lot of amazing team members who do all of this work for free. Uh, Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, we do this for free too, (laughs) but it's crazy because we're ingrained to get hours. Our entire life goal is about getting hours. We need clinical hours. We need volunteer hours. We need credit hours for school. Like everything is about Mm -hmm. how many hours you spend on something. So I think a great way to stay motivated is to not look at it like hours anymore and start looking at at it as accomplishments, as feelings, as things you're passionate about, about projects you completed, friends you made. Because if you kind of like reframe what you're doing to that, you're going to stop thinking about the hours. You're going to stop being so critical about yourself and you're going to start actually enjoying what you do. Yeah. And I know Jonathan, before we did this episode today, you were saying I was conversing with you about how long the MD-PhD track is, but you said something that really struck me profoundly and feel free to share that yourself. It's just like, it doesn't matter because you love what you do. Right. That's exactly it. I mean, this is kind of the first step into a lifetime of working in medicine and in research and whether that research is academic or or industry-based. But every day I have something different to do. And one thing I like about both medical school in general and also MD-PhD is that you're always shifting. You're always pivoting what you're doing. And this is a big difference than the other 12 years of grade school and then college, where every year, day in and day out, for 12 years, you go to class, you do some silly assignments, you turn it in. And then for four years in college, every day you go to class, turn in silly assignments, And then maybe in college, do other extracurricular things beyond what you would do in high school. But it's the same thing every semester, classes. Every semester goes through the same routine. You register for classes. You know this very well. And anyone listening knows this very well. But here it's so different. It's still school in some way, but it doesn't feel like school. Even in in medical school, every two weeks, sometimes every one week is a different topic. You're going from topic to topic so quickly that you never really feel like you're in a routine. You can if you want to, you can kind of make it a routine, but I try to not 
think of it like that. Every time there's a new topic, I try to shift my entire mindset and be like, okay, we're going to engage with something totally different. It's new vocabulary. When you're in clinical rotations, it's new personalities, new skills. It's like a whole new environment. I mean, the difference between, you know, internal medicine and, and surgery are not just, oh, it's a different clinic, you know, another day, another clinical rotation, but it's almost like getting to experience a different life for every single week that you do a different rotation. And then when you're doing research in the PhD phases, I just finished my year of classes and qualifying exam. And now I have a couple of years of dedicated research. And even that is not just day in and day out of something. I do computational stuff. I still do wet lab stuff as well, but I go back and forth between I'll do experiments in the lab and then I'll go analyze data on the computer. And then there'll be some times where I'm, I finish data and I need to you know, write up a presentation or a paper or something. So you're always changing what you're doing. And that's something that's so different about medical school or MD, PhD, especially compared to anything you've had before. And it's something I really try to, to savor, which some people don't. Some people will see it as kind of a routine, but I really try to savor what's different and what's new about every day or every week and not about what's the same. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Perfect answer. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I that's mean, awesome. it's something that I definitely struggle with is getting bored. I get bored of my job. I get bored of a class. I get bored of a hobby even. So that mindset, I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's shift into our game that we're going to do wow. uh, right before we wrap up our episode on staying motivated with MDBHD student, Jonathan Sussman. Sarah and I prepared some would you rather questions on things that like pre-meds might do in college, but a little bit with a twist. And I prepared my own and Sarah prepared her own and neither of us I have, have shared. I have no idea what she's going to say. I'm <laughs> a little nervous. Hers are going to be better than mine. So. I think mine are hilarious. Um, <laughs> just forewarning you guys. <laughs> Even if you don't find it funny, I think they're funny. I think um, you should go first then, Lexi. I'm kind of okay. excited. <laughs> I'm kind of excited. This one's my favorite one. They're kind of dumb. Whatever. Would you rather have to go about your day, whether seeing patients or in the lab, in roller skates, or on a Razor scooter where you have to do a trick every 10 minutes? I'm going to go with the Razor scooter. That's an easy one. I always Really? Everywhere. Yeah, I always ride a bike everywhere. It's kind of become like my thing. <laughs> in here it's like when i when i don't have my bicycle and a scooter is close enough it's like what happened why are you walking <laughs> well you have to here. even if you're in the lab i don't know if you work in like a biosafety cabinet probably not because you're engineering but like if you're even if you're in like a bsl3 lab you gotta do a trick on your razor scooter because it's every ah, 10 minutes you, you splash a little covid around you know <laughs> all good Oh my gosh, my answer is neither. No, if no, I you have to pick one. What? Uh, That's not how this game most, works. Okay, I'm the most uncoordinated person on the planet. <laughs> I was all in for razor scooter, and then you said trick, and I was like, oh no, what trick am I gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> I have no tricks. So I guess the scooter, but it's gonna be bad. It's gonna end badly for everyone. I couldn't figure out the name for that trick where you like riding on a scooter and you flip the scooter but it like you know how it accidentally hits your ankles but you try not to do that whatever <laughs> I, That's a trick. I always yes. hit my ankles 
goals. <laughs> well, you're supposed to not. You're supposed to hop on it. Anyway, Sarah, do you want to ask your next one? <laughs> sure. Okay. This one, I feel like mine are boring in comparison. Okay. Would nah. you rather ever live in a shared dorm for the rest of your life or only be able to eat food from the like college cafeteria forever? Ooh. Mm, it's a good one. I'm gonna go with the college cafeteria. USC, yeah, I'll go with that one. Was, USC, the food was really good. Our favorite was there's one dining hall called the EVK. Um, and EVK every Ooh. Friday had like a burger bar. Compared to everything else they had, this was really good. Oh, I want up you. Look forward to EVK burger night. Of well, at Barrett the Honors College at Arizona State University, we had a gelato bar, our own pizza. Burger bar is a norm every day. And on Thursdays, we had a sushi bar. The snobbery that just escaped from your mouth. <laughs> at Barrett <laughs> ASU, the Honors College. That's all I can say. <laughs> Listen, okay. I'm going to be with this. That's the big this. reason why I went there. <laughs> We also have a crepe bar on Sundays. A grape bar? Crepe. crepe. Like French oh. crepes. I was like fried grapes. Sign me up. <laughs> That's great. Okay. That one ups my sushi bar. <laughs> okay, let's okay. see. It's your turn. All right. Let's see here. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather be forced to present your research poster at a prestigious conference in the form of a rap battle, but speak to 20 attendees about your research? In the form of a rap battle, right? Or only have one meaningful discussion with one attendee. I would go with the rap battle just because that sounds fun. <laughs> right? That would actually be pretty awesome. All of these conferences yeah. are just people mumbling and you look around the room and everyone's asleep. Sometimes you can literally hear people snoring. Yeah. This would keep people, this would keep people, well, at least awake, if not even listening. Imagine that's that. what I'm saying. You know what? I'm glad you picked that one because I shared these with my friends and my friends were like, the rap battle sounds lame and weird. And who would want to have their rap to 20 people? I'm like, we're all quote unquote nerds. So of course we'll love the rap battle. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm for the rap battle. Yes. Meaningful conversations. No, thank you. Rap battles <laughs> every day, every day. All right. Okay. I got the next one. Would you rather barely pass? Well, okay. So think about like your favorite class you've ever taken in college or medical school, either one. And it's your favorite professor. You love them. Would you rather barely pass that class or have to repeat the absolute worst class you've ever taken? We barely pass the class I like? No. So you can either... Bar yes, you can either barely pass the class you love with the professor you love, or you have to repeat the worst class you've ever taken. Like now, today, tomorrow. It starts tomorrow. <laughs> repeat. Because now I know how to do better on the worst class I've ever of taken. Of course you would say <laughs> that. <laughs> I was going to go with the first one, but now I changed my mind. I agree. Yeah. If you've already taken the class... You know, if, if you learned it kind of the first time, right? Where it had to do it the next time, but get barely passing the class with your your favorite professor—that's like when your favorite 
teacher yells at you, you know, in elementary school. I feel like they would be disappointed in me and I could not handle it. My favorite class was led by my PI of my research lab. And if I barely passed it, I think she would just like, why are you in my lab? (laughs) And (laughs) that would be terrible. Yeah. My worst class I've ever taken was genetics. I just, I don't know. I I didn't vibe with genetics. Yeah. I like genetics. I hate genomics. Have you ever taken genomics? (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) we have an expert over here. I'm glad I never took it since I would hate for the class to ruin it for me. Oh, it was awful. (laughs) It was so bad. It's fine. I got an A. We're fine. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was boring. Okay. Okay. Lexi, you got another one? I do. We'll do two more, I think. Would you rather take a challenging biochemistry exam, whatever exam you think is challenging, while having a recording of your voice read aloud the questions or sit in silence with a flickering fluorescent light above your desk? I would go with the first one. In fact, I vaguely remembering this actually happening in some class. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not connecting <laughs> the dots for some reason in my mind. But I, I vaguely remember some class with like the lights flickering in like the most horrendous way during an exam. Yeah. It was actually like, I must have blocked it out. It was one of the most painful test experiences ever since you just can't focus. It's like you're slightly off. It's like when you wear your glasses, you know, a little too far. <laughs> it's all fine. Just something is slightly off with the world. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, I'm the opposite. I will take the flickering light over my voice any day. I will never be listening to these podcast episodes ever. <laughs> I hate my voice. That would drive me crazy. Yeah. So I have to listen to them. It's one of us has to. <laughs> it won't be me. Sorry, Lexi. <laughs> okay. I actually like this one. So would you rather have a bell go off every time you texted in class or have your future employer be able to see all of your Facebook photos, Instagram photos, even the ones you've like untagged yourself from or archived. <laughs> it's like in a little scrapbook for them. Oh, see, hmm. I never post anything on Facebook. This is, yeah. this is a, but Cheater. I spend all my days in class, 99% of my time not paying attention, just sending messages on my computer. Right. So it would just be a constant bell. It wouldn't even be a bell. It would just be a constant noise. It would, it would like just music. Be- yeah. I go with the social media one too. I mainly, I think honestly, they would just look at it and laugh because when I was posting stuff in middle school, it was just like dumb. I used to have a Facebook group chat or like whatever those were called, Facebook group called like keeping positive. And I would send a meaningful quote every day with a nice floral background that I designed in middle school with being like, hope your day is doing well. And it would go out to everybody in my Facebook group. I I deleted the group. You cannot find it. But I looked back at this and I was like, oh my God. No, I would join (laughs) that today to get my positive inspo from you every morning. That's so funny though, because I had a little like Facebook group I grew up super religious. And so I had a Facebook group where I would post and remind people to read their scriptures every day. Oh my God. Give them a scripture that they should look at. Oh, that would be something. (laughs) I deleted that. That's gone. You can't find it. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) All right. Would you rather take the MCAT with a chorus of meowing cats around you or one live chicken sitting next to you clucking very loudly? Are the cats there with you or not? They're like, they're like in the room, walking around the classroom, like meowing. The cats. Uh, by, by the time we get to the cars section, the third section, I would be not able to see and sneezing profusely. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. And cat allergies. I can see. Oh, I'm allergic to cats too. But so I least, choose the chicken. The chicken. <laughs> at least with the chicken, you know, if you get hungry in the middle of the test. Where is this going? <laughs> no. Jonathan, what are you doing with the chicken if you get hungry? <laughs> I'll leave this to the audience to think about. Are you bringing out your Bunsen burner or are you going to eat? <laughs> like, oh God. what? It's not well, a chicken it'll, nugget. It'll help you learn the anatomy section. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. You guys can't see my face if you're listening to this, but my jaw is on the floor. <laughs> He's going to eat the chicken. I'm distraught. Okay. Fine. Well, oh, God. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan, for joining us today. Um, We were so happy to have you. And we really hope this topic reaches a lot of you guys out there. Stay motivated. It's such a big topic for pre-med students looking to go to medical school, especially MD-PhD. So thanks so much, Jonathan. Well, thank you both. And I hope if if even one more person is now thinking a little bit more strongly about MD-PhD, I've done my job. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, honestly, me... I'm starting to think about it a little bit and I already applied to medical school. So that might be a problem, but <laughs> thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you. This podcast was produced by Ari Rosenthal and Lorelai Edmonds and Aditi Galande. You can find our conference on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at National Pre-Health Community or MPHC 2020. You can also find our pod and Instagram at The Pre-Health Pod. Don't forget to register for MPHC 2023, July 26th to the 28th at org, And please like, leave a review, or tell one friend if you liked our pod. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.